Resume, resume. Everybody here know what a resume is? Correct, Amendo. Young people, you have to get your resumes ready, you know, for the future, for the future. Resume is supposed to tell about you, correct? Who you are, what you've done. You put a list of people on there that uh, will say good things about you. Let me give you a piece of advice. Rarely have I seen this happen, but I have. If you put a reference on there that's going to say something bad about you, you don't deserve to be hired, correct? So, and it's funny, sometimes we'll get resumes. I bet I've looked at a 1,000 resumes. And we'll, we'll get a resume here sometimes, and they'll have at the bottom of it references, uh, references if needed, you know, ask for reference. And the bottom line is, is you're going to need a reference, correct? So uh, it's interesting. But you know what a resume is? Well, tonight in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to look at resumes from a different perspective. We're going to look at your resume as, um, as a part of your Christian life. And here's the first thing I want to start out with. Your life is an open resume of your Christianity. Your life, how you live, who you are, what you say, what you do, is an open resume of your Christianity. In other words, you wear your resume around. You ever thought about that before? You, you wear your resume around. Verse 1, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, Paul says? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you are from you. The word commend, Paul says, are we commending ourselves? literally means to, to recommend or to prove or to make known. Now, folks, in the ancient world, a letter of reference was very important because, first of all, let's say it was a minister like Paul. There were Jewish traveling ministers. Now there were beginning to be Christian ministers and philosophers. You couldn't, you couldn't ask somebody to look at your website. Okay, you couldn't ask somebody, well, hey, email Scott Hill. He will tell you how wonderful I am. Or uh, you, can't, you couldn't tell somebody, hey, well, get on the Internet and listen to my sermons. You will hear I can rock the house out. You, you couldn't do that. So when you traveled, you carried letters of recommendations with you. And that was very important for a minister, but it was also very important for anybody because the hotels in this day and age were not good. Uh, the lodges. So when you traveled, if you wanted to be able to stay with Reggie and Mary Celia, it, it was better to have a letter from somebody Reggie and Mary Celia might have known that said this person is not a criminal or a crook, and they can, uh, you know, they'll be nice and they won't steal your china. So it was very important to have a, uh, a a reference or a resume that you carried with you. In verse two and three, listen to what he says: "You yourselves are our, our letter." Do you hear that? And we're going to look at that in a moment. But he's saying, written on your hearts, known and read by everybody, you show that you're a letter. You show that you're a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on the tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Isn't this interesting? Paul said, listen, he was talking to them. We're going to talk more about what we do with others in a moment. But he was telling them, like I'm telling you, your life is a resume. Your life is a reference letter. You're, it, it, it's an open letter. And in fact, it's the best kind of reference or resume that there is. In this day, they wrote on parchment or papyrus, and it was 
possible that the writing on this could fade or it could be covered out or marked over. And folks, you know this, people will be shady on the resumes, right? They, they will. They will. A terrible case back seven, eight years ago, Notre Dame hired a football coach, George O'Leary, who was a very well-known coach in another part of the country, and he went to Notre Dame and looked like it was going to be great. Then you know what they found out? He had lied on his resume. Let me tell you something. You're not going to get away with it today. If you say you have two PhDs from Harvard, somebody's probably going to look that up, correct? You know, just for the fun of it, to see if it's true. And, and, and what Paul's saying, I think, is so good. Listen, you can't, uh, uh, ultimately, you can't lie with your life. It is an open resume. Good or bad, who you are shows, it shows what kind of Christian that you are, good or bad. I don't know if this was a song, Wayne, you can tell me. The other thing I'm going to say I know was a song. But here's the truth. You are the only Bible some people will ever read. Do you know that? I know this was a song in the 80s. You're the only Jesus some people will ever see. And that's exactly true. Your life and my life is an open resume. It's an open letter of our Christianity, okay? Now, here's the second part of this, and this is real, real important too. How we impact others is on our resume. How we impact other people is on our resume. Verse 2 and 3, listen to what Paul says. You yourselves are our letter. You yourselves are our resume written on hearts not and known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Again, they, they wrote on papyrus, which was the closest thing that they had to what we would say is our ink. They would write in black ink. I thought this was very interesting. 2,000 years ago in Jesus' day, they had red ink. I like to write in red. I guess it goes back subconsciously to having all those red marks for my teachers. The teachers still use red marks? Y'all know, no, it's all computerized. Now, they do. They do. Some, yes, we know. We understand. And, and they, they, they wrote with red then. I thought that was very interesting. They, they also wrote on leather parchment, or they would chisel in in stone or in clay, here's what Paul says. Our, our ultimate resume and letter is the impact we've had on your lives. What God has done through us and your life is seen in your heart and it's seen in your behavior. They were almost insulting Paul. Well, they were insulting Paul, some of them. He had been there. He had ministered to him, And now they're saying, hey, let, let us see your letter. Let us see your recommendation. Let us see your recommendation. And Paul snaps back and he says, you want to see who I am? Look around. Look at the changed lives that I've, I've been involved with the impact on. Look at the people who are saved and are going to heaven. Look at, look at the church that's established because of how God used us. In Corinth, there were monuments all over the place. A lot of the monuments were, 
rich people literally making monuments to themselves. <laughs> or maybe it was someone important that they honored and made a monument to. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, listen, you want to see our resume and our monument? Our resume and our monuments walk around. It's people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. And let me tell you this. Every person in this room has got a resume of lives you've impacted. Good or bad. How many of you ever heard of Adolf Hitler? Charles Manson? <laughs> they had a resume, folks, of life they impacted horribly. I'm not going to mention the church. It's, it's hundreds of miles from here. Some of you would probably know it. It's a big church, but they had, a, they had an outstanding pulpiteer there for decades, decades. Well-known uh, leader, and as far as I knew, did a great job there. But here's an interesting thing happened. When he left the church and they brought in another pastor, the people in that church brutalized that new pastor brutalized him and here's you know what i'm thinking in my mind what in the world were they taught for 30 stinking years to be so mean amen and it's certainly not all that former pastor's fault but if i stay here 30 years and y'all are really mean to the next guy that says something bad about me too you see, how we impact people is a big part of our resume. How you live is a, you're wearing that around, good or bad. Good Christian, bad Christian, watered-down Christian, the real thing. And how we impact other people is a huge part of our resume. So here's what I want to challenge you tonight. Choose to write a great resume through others. And I put in parentheses, you see down there, the Paul way. We're going to look at because we're talking about the Apostle Paul and the Paul way is the Jesus way, the God way. I want to challenge you tonight to choose to write a great resume through other people. We're going to look at the Paul way. Plato, the Greek philosopher, listen to what he said. Plato said great leaders and teachers don't, they don't write their writings as much on paper and in books as they do on the lives of people. That's a good quote, isn't it? That's what Jesus did. That's what Paul did. Let's look at the Paul way of writing a great resume through others. Number one, just love people. Isn't this difficult? Does God put any challenging people in your life to love? No, I mean, y'all are so good. Y'all have such an easy, stinking life. Let me, let me say that again in case you've already gone to sleep. Is there anybody in your life that's a challenge to love? Okay, good. Janelle, please raise your hand. We, okay, thank you. Thank you. Not, not saying it's Josh. Josh said, I'm his challenge. Okay, whatever. Okay, we're not going to look at it. But here's Paul's opus on love. 1 Corinthians 13. You can read it when you get home. Paul, man, Paul could, Paul could get in your grill. Paul could correct you. We're going to see the correction in a moment. Paul could come into a business meeting and say, what in the world are y'all doing here? But Paul loved people. 
And if you want to build a resume, you got to love people. You can't wait till they're cleaned up and they smell good and they come to church and they do things like, like you want them to do. Now, listen, this doesn't mean you approve of their behavior or that you choose to hang around them all the time, but you love people. Now, here's the second thing. You love them enough, too, to lead them to Christ. Folks, you don't love somebody if you will let them go to hell without you trying to help them. You don't love them. Well, I give them money and I feed them. And I, that means that you got a warm heart, but you don't love somebody if you know they're going to hell and you won't try to help them. Paul, here's how you build a great resume. You love people and you try to lead them to Christ. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And verse 22, he says, To the weak I become weak, to win the weak I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. How many of you think that's a passionate soul winner? How many of you think that's a guy that looked at people and said, they are going to hell without Christ, and I'm going to do everything I can to help them come to Jesus? That's exactly, listen, two or three places Paul tells us, do what I'm doing, do what I'm doing, do what I'm doing. We are told this statistic hadn't changed much in many years, but that 95% of people who claim to be Christians never win one person to Christ. Okay, that, means, that means a couple of things. One, that a lot of that 95% probably aren't saved. And that two, that a lot of that 95% never get it. I said this last Sunday night. I'm going to say it a lot. I, I think it's new, my new, my new uh, stump to preach from. Soul winning has gone out of cool in Christianity today. But it ain't gone out of cool with Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you what, I want to be cool, but I want to be more like Christ than anything else in the world. And First Baptist is always going to be hot to disciple and love people. We're going to be hot to win people to Christ. If you, if you don't want to be in a church that wants to win people to Christ, find you a Bible study somewhere because that's all it is. Just Bible study. Well, we're a church that just disciples people. No, you're not a church. You're a Bible study. We are a church that's going to disciple people. We want to disciple you till you have to go home and rub your eyes you've been reading so much. Put ointment on your knees you've been praying so hard. Have to go to the doctor and have your hip pop back in place because you're pulling that billfold out and tithing so much. <laughs> but man, we want lost people to walk in here lost and leave here on their way to heaven. Write your resume on the lives of other people by loving them and by leading them to Christ. Here's the third thing. Encourage them. Encourage them. Here's Paul again in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as, in fact, you are already doing. Again, man, Paul encouraged people. There was a, a man at the church where I met Cindy who, uh, he's been dead now 20 years, and he was a wonderful man, had a big extended family. He did not have a lot of education. In fact, I I don't know if he went to 10th grade or not. He had had some success in a couple areas, but he didn't have much money or anything. But here's what he did. He loved people unconditionally. I certainly believe he tried to help them come to Christ 
and he built them up. And 20 years after his death, I still hear things about the difference he made in people's lives. He never had a doctor's degree, never wrote a book, never was on TV preaching or teaching, but he impacted people forever because he loved them, because he tried to tell them about Jesus, and because he encouraged and encouraged and encouraged. You want to build your resume up? Encourage people. Number four, this goes with it, and you can't leave it out. Gently correct them. Some of you are going, boy, I'm glad to hear that because there's some people I want to get a hold of. You got to. How do you love someone who is fixing to drink poison or drive off a cliff and you, I just don't want to say anything that would offend them? I don't want to hurt their feelings. Some people need to be spanked, figuratively, of course. So, you, Listen, you and I need it sometimes, don't we? Amen, we do. If you're going to help people, listen, read, read the 13 letters of Paul. If you've read them one time, you know Paul did not have a problem Getting in somebody's face if he had to. Paul rebuked Peter. <laughs> Listen, that took some guts. I'm telling you, it was, a, it was probably four years after the resurrection before Peter finally spit his dip out and quit hitting people. I mean, even with Jesus there, Peter cut a guy's ear off. <laughs> Think about that. We have some tough business meetings at our church. Have you ever seen anybody's ear cut off? Where's the ear? Well, it went under the Lord's supper table. <laughs> I don't know, but leave it. We'll get it tomorrow, okay? Correct people gently, gently. But if you're going to help people, you gotta, you got to help them stay within inside the boundaries. Got to help them stay within inside the boundaries, okay? And here's the last thing. Help them grow up in Christ. Now, all of this is helping. When you love somebody, when you lead them to Jesus, when you encourage them, when you're correcting them, but also, I, I just want to throw this, help them grow up in Jesus. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we call it the Great Commission. Listen to what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's a lost person, correct? You're going to baptize them. A disciple is three or four things in the New Testament. The first thing it is, is a convert. When he says, go make disciples, he's saying, go, go find people who are lost, whether it's in the church, whether it's far, people far from God, unchurched, wherever they are, win them to Christ and baptize them. And then, put the scripture back up there, please, buddy. Uh, it says, and then teaching them everything I have commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age, called the Great Commission. See, this is what God's telling us to do. I believe this with all my heart. You get someone saved, and you can teach them how to pray, how to read their Bible, and how to be active in church. They're on their way. It's not rocket science. Well, don't they have to go through 48 studies before they're able to uh, get up and pray in church? Absolutely not. If you can learn how to pray, now, by the way, you got to do it. 
If you learn how to pray and you learn how to read your Bible and you get active in a good church, you are on your way to growing spiritually. Isn't that simple? Now, you've got to be obedient. You've got to give and serve all those things. But it's not rocket science. See, here's the circular thing God wants you to do. God wants you to get saved. He wants you to grow and to be disciple. Then he wants you and me to go out and lead people to Christ. Then he wants us to disciple them and teach them how to pray, how to read their Bible, how to be active in church. Then he, he wants that new convert to become a person who does what? Who goes out and wins people to Christ and teaches them how to pray and read their Bible and to get active in church. Do you see this? It's, it's a cycle, isn't it? A beautiful cycle where the convert becomes the converter. Where the, the one who's discipled becomes the one who starts discipling. Do you see the process? Here's how you write your resume, man. You, you, you go out and you win people to Christ and you love them and you build them up and you correct them and you're intentional in helping them grow up in Jesus Christ. And, and then here's the neat thing. Then you start having spiritual grandchildren. Isn't that neat? you've led someone to Christ, and then they start leading someone to Christ. And, and then, hopefully, a couple of years later, you got, i got great-grandchildren. You're 25 years old, but, well, spiritual great-grandchildren. They won't get it, but I'll get it. Isn't that cool? In college, you ought to have spiritual grandchildren if you'll get after it. High school, you can. See, this is right in your resume. Isn't that great? This is writing your resume on the lives of others. How many of you saw a movie, Mr. Holland's Opus? <clears throat> it's, it's, a, it's an older movie. It's not based on a, a true story, but it's got a, it, it's got a great theme. Let me share with you uh, about this movie. Mr. Holland's Opus was about a frustrated music composer in Portland, Oregon. He takes a job as a high school band teacher and music teacher in, in Portland in, 19, in the 1960s. His goal, basically, is he's going to teach for a little while. Then he wants to write uh, uh, an opus, a concerto, a symphony, and become a famous conductor and writer is what he wants to do. And what he finds out quickly, like many of us, as he begins to teach, and then he gets married, and he has a child. He's a music guy, and his child's deaf, that life overwhelms him. And that his goal to become a famous composer, he begins to realize it's, it's probably never going to happen. And what ends up going on throughout the movie, over the next 35 years, he's a band teacher. He is a, a, a music instructor. And he has a great passion for this. But he never writes his opus. He never writes that famous symphony that he wants to write. And, and then, sadly, at the end of the movie, the school board decides that extracurriculars like music and band are they're going to cut. And he fights for it, but ends up losing, and towards the end of the movie, he's cleaning out his office and his room after he taught his last class at the end of the year. Him and his wife and son are leaving the building, and they hear music in the auditorium, and there shouldn't be anybody in the auditorium because uh, everyone's gone, and they open the door, and it's packed with people, and there's a big banner in there to, to Mr. Holland. And it's basically a farewell celebration to him. And it's his former students that have come in and packed the place, and they're singing and they're playing music. And, of course, it's an overwhelming thing. And him and his wife, his wife's in on this, and son go down to the stage. And 
the, the governor of, of Oregon comes up to the stage to, be, to emcee the event. And the, the governor of Oregon was one of his former students who he had helped uh, keep in school and kept on target. And, and basically what she says, she says, Mr. Holland, you dreamed of writing a great symphony, becoming famous, becoming rich. None of that happened outside of this community. But I want you to look around, and the auditorium is full of people. And she said, this is your opus. We are your symphony. We are the music that you have made throughout the years. I don't know what it would be like to own $10 million, but I want to tell you, that's got to be close to being as good as that. You see, you have a real choice to write beautiful notes in the lives of others. If you will. What do we need to do this evening? If you're not a Christian, you need to give your life to Christ. You came in here on your way to hell, leave here on your way to heaven. You come and give your life to Christ in a moment. You want to join the church, you can come and do that. Listen, Christian. Where you're standing or at the altar, will you make a commitment with me tonight? The rest of your life, you're going to write beautiful music on the lives of other people. Let's stand. And as the Lord leads you, you respond to him.